Hello and thank you for listening to episode 190 of 60 Minutes With. I'm Dave. And I'm Tom. And this is the remastered interview show with Frank Stallone, which, get this one Tom, we recorded and released in July 2013. Holy shit, six years ago, six and a bit years ago. Six and a bit years ago. In fact, we recorded and released it the day after my birthday that year. Well, what a birthday present that would have been for you. What a treat, what an absolute treat. Uh, And so as everybody obviously has already listened to episode 189 and they will know that September is Stallone month here in the decade of decadence wing of 60 minutes with. Uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's on to brother frank and the chat frank brother frank it's the hellraiser ish that we had a chat with uh i loved re-listening to it mate and some of the things that stood out apart from the thing that made me laugh the most was the bloody fish and chip fan still appearing six years ago part way through i could hear it in the background and just as a warning mate before we started recording it is in and around the area. I heard it not too long ago, so it could wow. make it it's could a five make recording, isn't it? So yeah, it could make a reappearance in the intro to uh, into this as well. Uh, yeah, I loved I loved obviously re-listening to it. The stories he'd got to tell. One thing I'd love listeners to do because Frank does say his Twitter handle is still on Twitter at Stallone. He did say as well uh, about letting people know that if they've heard the show, and this was from six years ago. So everybody out there, once you've heard this, give give Frank a tweet. Let him know that you've uh, listened to uh, this remastered interview with him from all those years ago. Yeah, maybe he maybe he remembers us. Yeah, maybe he was, yeah, he was really friendly. He did say he'd come back on the show. I would love... Which, Sorry, he mate. He did, didn't he? Well, yeah, he did, actually. Yeah, he did. <laughs> um, I'd love a catch-up with him on movies, the movies he was in. There was loads of the music talk, obviously, that we wanted to concentrate on. Yeah, uh, and we did touch uh, a little bit on the movies, and um, quite a bit of it was on uh, Fear, one of my favourite movies of his. About, oh yes, of course. Yeah. About about the uh, the evil character Armitage that he plays in it. But I'd love to more about you know being on the set of you know like Rocky Three especially, uh, you know because you know he's in that quite a bit as well. Um, mm, yeah. Staying alive. Oh mate, wouldn't it be great to talk about some set stories from Staying Alive? Yeah, uh, with yes. that, I was looking as well. He's got um, his filmography on IMDb. He's got stuff announced. He's got stuff in pre-production. He's still acting, so it'd be yeah, I think it'd be good to get a, a bit of a catch-up with him on his acting career. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, stories that people are going to hear. There's there's some great ones. Um, all about going back into the music business, how he got started with it. Uh, some amazing story. One of the great things about Frank, mate. And it was, we said this after recording the show. I don't think we really say anything. We just say hi and then just Frank goes with it, which is the perfect guest. We we just sit back and listen and laugh Uh at the great stories that he's got to tell. So, uh, yeah, hopefully people that listen to it six years ago will enjoy this re-release of it. And then if you're new to it, uh, well, you're in for an absolute treat, aren't they, Tom? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really good interview. Well, as interview, use the term loosely. Yeah. Chat. <laughs> it's always best when you just let them go. And uh... Yeah, and that is, yeah, Frank just goes with it. It was absolutely brilliant. So uh, shall we shut up, mate, and let everybody listen yeah, to Frank? People, yeah, people yeah. want to hear Frank, not us. Right, there we go then. Stallone month here at Decade of Decadence. Here's Frank Stallone from July 
2013. As always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Tom. Hello. And tonight we are, well, we're proud, privileged and extremely, extremely excited to talk to the great Frank Stallone. Hello, Frank. Hey, hi, guys. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing well. All the better for talking to you, that's for sure. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, right, we've got so You're many... calling from Wales, huh? I'm in Wales, yeah. And then Tom's a bit further down in England. He's in Norwich. So we're wow. quite a few never... miles away. Never been to Wales. Never had the. I knew uh, my pal Joe Calzaghi, obviously he's from Wales, mm-hmm. but uh, that's close as I got to it. <laughs> well, if ever you want to come, I can show you around. No trouble there. Okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, right, we start. Our listeners would love to know um, your early life, Frank. How did you get? How did you get involved in music, and that become such a big part of your life? Well, I, I started as a young child. I mean, I really started truly singing at like five or six years old. And what happened, it was just that it just it just turned into something. I mean, it actually chose me more than me choosing it. And so I was around, obviously, the radio was wonderful back then because they played everything. Almost, I mean, up until the time, a little past the Beatles, radio was great because they played Frank Sinatra, then they played Beatles songs, and later played an Elvis Presley song, all on the same station. So growing up, you really got a great sense of uh, different, different, different genres of music. So, you know, I started picking up a ukulele. Of course, Elvis was coming out, and he was like, you know, forget it. That was it, man. You couldn't go any further than that. And I just found that singing was just so easy for me. You know, it was just, it was effortless for me. And then I just started singing, and then, you know, a little later, started playing guitar seriously. Then I put together, you know, junior high school band, you know. And we did, you know, Beatles, The Birds, all the, you know, all the groups that were going on. We played, like, dances and things like that. And just, and, and, I, and I was just knew this is what I was going to do. There was, there was never a doubt in my mind. I didn't want to be a fireman. I didn't want to be a policeman. I, you know, like, they always say kids want to be. I didn't want to be any of that. I wanted to be a rock star. That was it. <laughs> Period. <laughs> what was it like the first time that you stood up on stage and had to oh, sing? It's, you know, it's, it's the same as it is now. Electrify. I just love it. You know, I mean, I'm very comfortable. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable on stage. See? A lot of people aren't. I'm very comfortable on stage. I feel it's like my, it's my bedroom, you know, because I don't really have to worry about the, you know, the nonsense that's going on in the world, you know, and, uh, and I can really make my own show. I can do whatever I want. And that's what makes it really great. I mean, I am, I am the architect of, of my whole show and my time on stage. Mm-hmm. So that to me is worth, that to me is worth everything, you know? So, um, so I'm, I, I can't, I can't explain it to you. Even when I go see other people play, 
I wanted to jump on stage. So I was never like shy about it. So there was never like, oh, well, you know, Frankie's a little timid. No, Frankie's a total ham. So let me go on stage. You know? <laughs> that's, that's, so I was the opposite. You couldn't get me off. I'm like Al Jolson. You ain't heard nothing yet. You couldn't get me off the stage, you know, so because I felt comfortable and I really liked it. And I think, you know, most true performers are like that. But I see, you know, these other guys, they backstage, they're nervous, they throw up, you know, all this crap. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I don't have any of that stuff. Never, never, never had any of that stuff. I, only time I've been concerned on stage, to tell you the honest to God truth, was um, was if I was sick and my voice. That There's only been a few times in, in, in my life, and I've been doing it a long, long, long time. And one was uh, I was opening for Don Rickles. And uh, thank the Lord, I really don't get sick much at all. And But boy, was I sick. I had everything. I had... It was like a head cold. I was woozy, flu. And I said, I, don't, I can't, can't even stand up. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. But, you know, opening for Don Rickles, coming where he's from with Frank Sinatra, you know, the show goes on. There's no, oh, I don't feel good. There's No, there's none of that. So I was backstage, and I was like, felt like I was dying. And they said, Frank, five minutes. I said, okay. I got by the stage, went on stage. Two songs in, I felt perfect, did one of the best shows of my life. <laughs> oh, great. Then collapsed backstage and threw up. There you go. <laughs> That's, uh, but you hear those stories by everyone, like the Beatles. I mean, these guys who play seven, eight hours a night in Germany, you know. So you, you do what you have to do. And that's why, like, when I look at these shows like American Idol and all that stuff, they're all coddled. You know, they never went out and really had to do the work. You know, I mean, they're just kind of, you know, it's like a weak of prep for one song, you know, hairstylist, singing coach, you know, choreographer coach, someone that dresses you. I said, come on, the real world, you're up on stage. At least my shows are almost two hours. So you're upstage you're all the whole time. What are they going to do when they go out in the real world and have to really perform? It's going to be a whole different situation, you know? Oh, yeah. You hope, know. Have you got any sort of set routine that you do before you go on stage as well? Drink. <laughs> 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 now we all have a, a few nips before we go on. I mean, that's part of, you know, to me, being on stage is a little bit of a, well, it's not a little bit, it's a party, it's a celebration, it's all those things, you know? So I treat it like that. I mean, people go, I can't believe you drink when you're on stage. I go, absolutely. What are you talking about? Of course they do. You know, so, but I have fun on stage. I never get like to the point where I can't perform or anything, but I, I stay loose. I have a good time on stage and I, and I hope everyone in the audience is doing the same thing, but that's, <laughs> That, to me, is where it's at. You know, it's, you're supposed to have fun up there. You know, you're supposed to have a good time up there. But I would say, you know, um, I'm backstage. I kind of have a few minutes by myself and kind of get myself jacked. And then, you know, I'm, I'm by the side of the stage, and I'm ready to go. It's like, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, it's pretty crazy when you think about it, mm -hmm. what, what I do for a living, that you go out on stage in, bunch of, in front of a bunch of strangers. <laughs> Weird. I mean, you think about it. A weird way to make a living. You don't know what the hell is going to go on out there. You know what I mean? But you do it. You don't know if you're going to get a good reception or they're going to think you suck. I mean, you know, you don't know until you get out there. So it's it's kind of an interesting uh, thing. It's it's kind of interesting. It's not for everybody. You know, some people, 
I know friends of mine that are highly decorated uh, war heroes. I mean, Congressional Medal of Honor. They said, I could never do that. I said, you crazy? You could never walk on stage, but you can sit there and, like, capture 100 enemy and shoot, like, 50 people. <laughs> I mean, there's, like, real, like, war heroes and stuff like that. But they said, oh, my God, I'd have a heart attack if I went on stage. Like, <laughs> very weird. It's like I'm a song and dance man. This guy's, like, a decorated war hero. It's very crazy. <laughs> I mean, you've been so successful as well. You've got three platinum albums. You've got ten gold albums. You've got five gold singles. You've done like rock music, blues music, big band music. Um, you've got like such an eclectic career. What one question I've got for you? Can you tell the listeners something uh, about your time with Valentine? Oh yeah, well Valentine was uh, that was my first. Well, it was actually my second group. The first group was called the American Tragedy. You know, ooh, you know. We always had those kind of names, you know, the Glass Frogs or stuff like that in those days, you know. So that was the first group. And then um, I was with a few other groups. And then, But the real group that really started, we started writing all our own material was, uh, I was starting to in the other groups, but the main group was Valentine. That started in 1968. And... So we, we, you know, had a bunch of friends, you know, put together this group, and uh, we were trying, believe it or not, we, we used to practice in a basement in downtown Philadelphia, and who's sitting on the steps, they, uh, my bass player invited him down to see if he wanted to be in the group, was Daryl Hall from Hall Notes. <laughs> yeah, so he came down, he says, wow, you guys sound really good, but he goes, I'm getting married, and, uh, you know, I have to... Uh, active work so he was in a he was in a you know proper working band that made money we didn't make any money we just played our own music and played coffee houses for what like maybe 80 bucks for the whole band maybe wow. you know so yeah i mean it was nothing so but the funny thing is valentine went on we we didn't have a long long career they threw me out of my own group <laughs> and uh so what i did being the entrepreneurial person i am i brought into my new group all the people that they were going to replace me with. So I ended up like with the super group. All the guys they were going to get to replace me, I put in my new group. <laughs> so <laughs> Valentine didn't last too long. So that so then that, that group was called Bananas. Go figure. It was called Bananas. <laughs> so Bananas played for a while, and then that broke up, and then I restarted Valentine again. Okay? And this was with now the lead guitar player in that Valentine was John Oates from Hall and Oates. He was the lead guitar player, and some of the other fellows uh, from the well, one guy from the first Valentine. So that's ha what happened, and that group broke up after about a year and a half. Okay, hmm. so from that point on, I, w I became just a kind of a minstrel, I guess you call uh, what do you call buskers? Yeah, is that what you call them over there? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I was kind of a busker, so I played on street corners, I played in coffee houses as a solo, just by myself. And I'm really happy I did it, you know, because it really helped me in good standing, because not many people can really go on stage by themselves with a guitar. One, they can't play guitar good enough, and they just sit there and strum, and it's like stupid, you know. And, <laughs> and then, and you, and, and you really learn how to be a performer, because you're on your own. So I did that for a while. Okay, cut to 1972. This is really funny. I'm in New York City. I was working in Bloomingdale's. And on the weekends, you know, or during the week, whatever, I'd play coffee houses. Open for Bruce Springsteen. But they had his name written on the chalkboard outside. Tonight, Bruce Springsteen. So I said, okay. So I went in. 
and I was playing, and uh, you know, it was before his first album or anything like that. And he was a real nice guy. Uh, so, make a long story short, uh, my first manager that managed me in Bananas, I was in New York. I looked like I had a rec- kind of something going on with these two other guys, Bob and Jody. Cut the story. He comes in and goes, "Why are you here?" So we took our. We were at these people that are going to be our potential managers' place. So when they went out to lunch, I took my electric piano, we took everything, jumped into a cab, left my apartment in New York, moved to Trenton, New Jersey, and started Valentine 3. <laughs> and that one stayed together for almost uh, six, seven years. And that was the one we had the album with on RCA, did the Street Corner song and Rocky one. So that was that, that group. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was, I, I got to tell you something, you know, being a part of a group, was one of the greatest things I had. I mean, I really enjoyed it because one, we were friends and we really liked each other and we used to laugh our butts off all the time, you know, inside jokes, you know, chasing the birds around, all kinds of <laughs> stuff. You know, we're young kids and we had a great time and uh, I kind of missed that a little bit. You know, I'm a little older now. I mean, you know, putting a group together now would be a little bit goofy, but I really missed that. There was a camaraderie. You know, you're all in it together. You're all young you know, and full of vigor and going out there, going to rule the world. And, you know, a few of the guys, I got to say from the original Valentine, I mean, from, well, you got John Oates, who's still in music. Uh, Jody, the bass player in Valentine, still in music. Bob's still in music. They have, like, regular jobs, except for John Oates, obviously. And uh, so, but a lot of people quit. You know, they get married and all this nonsense, and then the, the whole thing, like changes. So I never got married just for that purpose. And also I didn't want someone to bother me all the time. So <laughs> stop, you know. So I don't think it's conducive anyway for a uh musician or someone traveling working musician to be married. I mean I think it probably causes a lot of problems down the road. You know, you're gone, you know, there's temptation all the time. So I just really never thought about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy about it, trust me. All my other <laughs> friends are divorced and broke. <laughs> I mean, so I'm, I'm happy. I, you know what? I'm very, I got to tell you guys, I'm very blessed. I, I really am. I'm very blessed to have had what whatever success I've had. I mean, I've had a great time. Would I like to be working a little more? Yeah. I remember when I was in England promoting an album. I think in '91, I had a great time. I did. You know, in those days, I did the Big Breakfast. I did Wogan. I did. Uh, I played in Liverpool, the Midlands, Ipswich, Plymouth, you know, Sheffield. Played, and I had a great, great time. And I did the whole touring, the whole tour in a Daimler, that big, giant car like the Queen Mother used to have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the driver, a guy named Hank, he used to be like Led Zeppelin, one of the roadies. So the stories <laughs> this guy had. And he kept smoking these senior service cigarettes. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Right. His fingers are all yellow. But his, this guy had been ridden hard and put up wet. This guy had been around, you know what I'm saying? So, But it was great. It was great to tour, just my conductor and myself. And that time I was doing more of the big band stuff, you know? that I was promoting an album there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to fast forward a little bit from the 70s in your music career, in 1983 you wrote, with, along with the Bee Gees, many of the songs for the soundtrack to Staying Alive, which was nominated for a Grammy, and your song, um, Far From Over, was nominated for a Golden Globe. How was that experience for you? Yeah, well, that was, you know what, that that whole story 
that whole time changed my life. I mean, really. I mean, I was at that point like 32, and I really had no money. I had dedicated, since I was professional, 15, so you figure 15, 17 years of my life to music, and really had nothing to show for it. I didn't have a group, you know, you know no record deal, nothing. Uh, I had one little break because when I moved out to California, my brother asked me, he said, why don't you just move out here, you know, get away from New Jersey. I said, okay. My next door neighbor happened to be the legendary Harry Nilsson, mm-hmm. which was amazing because we were on RCA Records together and I idolized Harry Nilsson. I thought he was just so talented and he was so great. Unbeknownst to me, I'm living next to him, my idol, right? <laughs> so we became really good friends and he produced a song for me. He never produced anybody before but me. So he produced me, and he sang on the record, a Joni Mitchell song, and it, got, it kind of got up the chart, but that was like in 81, okay? And then, just nothing. I mean, I was a stand-in for my brother in Rocky Three. I mean, I was kind of basically going nowhere. I mean, it's almost, it's almost when I think about it now, it's, it's numbing, it's shocking, that at 32, I really had nothing going on. Mm-hmm. I had a few dollars. I didn't have anything. So the next thing I hear is they're doing the sequel to Saturday Night Fever and that my brother is directing it. So I figured, hey, you know what? Why not? Give it a shot. You know, so I kind of drove over to Paramount lot. You know, he didn't tell me he was directing. I had to hear it from someone else, right? (laughs) (laughs) I drove over to Paramount and I go, hey man, you think there's a chance I could maybe get like, I was thinking, you know, Saturday Night Fever sold 26 million double albums. That's 52 million records. I'm like, wow. I said, you guys need to get maybe a 15-second, just like a background song in there. You know what I mean? He goes, yeah, I don't think so. I said, well, thanks, man. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you got to work with the Bee Gees. I said, well, well, in other words, it's the Bee Gees movie, really. And Robert Stigwood was the producer. He's the Bee Gees manager. And the guy that did the song Dreamweaver, Gary Wright, who was in Spooky Tooth, was the music supervisor, one of them. And so what happened was, so my brother tried to just, you know, not, you know, kind of amuse me, you know, and say, oh, I'll just go try to write some stuff, you know, whatever. Just kind of, kind of, kind of get rid of me, basically, so it wouldn't be a pain in the ass, right? So <laughs> I went back, and I took it to heart, and I started writing. You know, I had a little group together, and I started writing in earnest, you know. And I go to this little studio that was, God, I mean, it was like $20 an hour. It was nothing, right? Went to this little studio. And started writing this stuff, and then every week or a few weeks, I'd come in with a cassette, and I would, you know, play the stuff for my brother at the office at Paramount, and I would be dancing around, hey, wouldn't this be great at this scene, blah, 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 blah. Well, well, lo and behold, I'm doing this, I have like 10, 11 songs, and they're really, I think the best songs I've ever wrote in my life. I mean, I was, I, I had to get something to happen, right? So, all of a sudden, I hear the Bee Gees quit. I there, holy Christ, the Bee Gees quit? How are you going to do staying alive without the Bee Gees, right? So what happened was John Travolta was unhappy with their music, okay? Because he thought it was too much like the first movie. It was too antiseptic. And now I am a big, 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 big fan of the Bee Gees. Always have, always will be. Big fan, you know? So I heard some of their demos and they sounded great. Sounded like the old Bee Gees, you know? And then what happened, they kind of uh, sanitized it too much, made it too clean, you know, where it didn't have that edge. And John didn't like it. They got insulted, and they quit. <laughs> so, so now you've got 
the sequel to Saturday Night Fever with no BGs. <laughs> Gary Wright got fired. Uh, it's it, the whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket. Okay, so in comes Frankster here. So my brother goes, "Hell no, we're gonna do uh, BGs quit." You know, they're like they're like thirty million dollars in the movie already. You know what I'm saying? And uh, they have no music they can use. So. My brother took me to lunch. He says, yeah, bring those cassettes with you. It shows you how far back it is. Now it's like, at, there's not, no, now it's just like, you know, whatever. I don't even know what the hell they bring now. Anyway, the Wizard of Oz or something. Anyway, so I'm sitting there having lunch with John Travolta. And he's sitting there, and he's got a long face on because, you know, they got a problem now. So Sly goes, yeah, why are you listening to some of this stuff? So my brother puts on the cassette and starts playing the music. Now, he hasn't told John who it is yet. So the first thing is Far From Over, then Moody Girl, then Waking Up. Then, and I see John's face going, wow, man, wow, 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 loves it, Jesus, wow, man. And I'm having a heart attack here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I know there's divine intervention because when Sly finally told him it was me, you know, and I, of course his disbelief came over his face. I think everyone thought I was like an idiot just hanging around, you know. I don't think they thought he played music or anything. So from that... <laughs> They started, that Monday, they started putting my songs in the movie, and I ended up with uh, nine songs in the movie. Wow. And it, changed, wow. and it changed my life. And that was the year of nominated, it was number one, nominated for Grammy, Golden Globe. I kind of got screwed out of uh, the Academy Awards, and I'll tell you why. And that's why it's hard for me to listen to Barb Streisand, and I'll tell you a story. There was, you know, you're talking in 1983. It's not like it is now, you know, where... When you go to the Grammy Awards, I mean, it's more pomp and circumstance and a bunch of crap than music, you know what I mean? It's like huge, 15,000, 20,000 people at the Staples Center. It's obnoxious. But back then, it was a little smaller, you know? It wasn't, wasn't like it is, and it was very all the musos. It was really more of an in-house type situation. You know, musicians honoring musicians. It wasn't like comedians and dumb actors and stuff like that. It was like really, you know, people in the business. So... I am, uh, I'm nominated, there's five songs from the movies, okay, there was Maniac from, uh, from, um, what was, it, what was Maniac from, oh, uh, what was that movie? Oh, oh Flashdance. What was it called? Flashdance. Flashdance. God, you know I'm getting potty, if I can't remember <laughs> that, okay, oh, so it's Flashdance, there was What a Feeling, Maniac. Far From Over, one song from Tender Mercies, which I, you, if you held a gun to my head and said you were going to kill me, I couldn't even tell you the song. <laughs> never even charted. And one song from Yentl with Barbara Streisand that never even got to like 90 on the chart, okay? So, so the Grammys, same five songs. Golden Globes, same five songs. Okay, so I figured Academy Award would be the same five songs. There's no, nothing else out there. So I'm having a photo shoot for my first solo album. Yeah, you know, my girlfriend's there. We're celebrating. I mean, you know, you have to understand, you know, I started, this is a long journey for me to have my first hit record in my 30s and have my first solo album and all this attention I was getting that I never got, you know. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I'm having my photo shoot, and I get, and, and that's the day they're announcing the Academy Award nominations. So all of a sudden, the guy goes, hey, Frank, your brother's on the phone. So, of course. I'm thinking, well, he's going to say, hey, guess what? You got nominated, you know, or whatever. He goes, I got bad news. And they're like, what? What could be bad news? He goes, you didn't get nominated. I go, what? I didn't get nominated. How can I not get nominated? There's only five songs. 
they kept all the songs and, and they took mine out and added another Bar- Barbara Streisand song that was more obsolete, obscure than the other one that she was nominated for. So you kidding me? That song never even got on the radio. Why did they take my song? My song was number one song. And man, was I pissed. Because that was wrong. That was, that was BS. That was bull. You know? mm-hmm. And I was so depressed by that. I got to tell you something. Because just to be nominated would have been great. You know, it would have been great to say, you know, instead of being considered for Academy Award, I was nominated for Academy Award. You know? mm-hmm. And that would have been great. Two brothers, both nominated for Academy Awards. He was nominated in Rocky for Best Actor. And I would have been nominated you know, for Best Song. So that really, really did me, and it really kind of soured me, you know, mm-hmm. on the on the politics of the game. So from there, you know, things went good, went bad, you know, just the way the business goes. Mm-hmm. That was the story on that. Wow. And what would you rather do? I mean, there must be a big difference between writing music for a film and then writing music just for you know, one of your normal albums. Which do you prefer, and what sort of ways do you have to work differently between the two? Well... You know, when you're doing your own album, you're the captain of your own ship, right? When you're doing a soundtrack, you know, there's a lot of chefs in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and, and on my side, I got screwed to death as far as, like, when you do uh, music for a film in those days, automatically they take all your publishing. Wow. So unfair, which yeah. is so wrong. It's just ethically, morally, everything about it is wrong, Okay. And so that was that really didn't sit too too well with me, and um, so I did some songs and soundtracks after that. You know, I wrote the theme, the Rambo, and that was a lot. That was a big mess too because you know there was just a lot of red tape, and then uh, you know did a few few more soundtracks. Uh, it's okay. I'll tell you what's great about it. It because if, if the song is really good and it's a hit, you got a big vehicle to push it. A film, you know, like Staying Alive. You know, you had a big studio behind you pushing you you know so that was that made it really really good um so that's the good side about it and it's you know what it really depends on who is your music supervisor who is the guy that's doing the mixing like i wrote a great song for expendables 2 called don't want to fight with me mm-hmm. it's okay it's a little buried but here's the difference this is this is we'll give you an example okay so it's the only original song on the album it's the only original song on the album so i'm figuring you know what if they get behind a little bit maybe we can get up for uh you know for a grammy or golden globe or something mm-hmm. you know or academy award or something you know yeah. i mean it's, you know that's it was a huge movie made a few hundred million four hundred million dollars so i figured that they didn't even put out a soundtrack <sighs> they they gave us no help at all they go well so we called lionsgate said well in other words, I paid for the record, did everything. They didn't do anything, you know. And, and Lionsgate goes, well, we're thinking of putting out a soundtrack of the score. I go, are you out of your mind? They'll <laughs> sell like four records. Who cares? It's not John Williams. You know, you're not talking about like Max Steiner going to win. You're talking about, you know, it's just no one cares. So that was really disappointing because I was figuring, you know, this could be a, a shot at another Grammy Golden Globe, maybe win this time, you know, at, at my age, would have been really great. Mm-hmm. So that's disappointing. But this is, this, that's why you never kind of can throw in your uh, gloves, you know what I mean? How about this? Next thing I know, my friend John Hirschfeld's doing a movie, and my brother's in it, 
I'm in it. Tom Sizemore is in it. Uh, Bing Rames is in it. Kira Sedgwick is in it. Just uh, Kelsey Grammer's in it. Just a lot of people are in it, right? And John, the director I've known since I've, I, I'm a kid. My brother and I have known each other since a kid. And he's always been a fan of my music. He goes, listen, Frank, you know, it's a low-budget movie, but it's a great movie, and it's, uh, we've got everybody and their mother in this movie. Uh, so I send him a bunch of songs. He goes absolutely apeshit over all the music. Loves it. And he's like, oh, I want to use this, I want to use this, I want to use this. And I'm really excited about it. So now we're in the process of seeing if we can work out a deal and make it work. And that would be great, you know, because you never know. It could be a small movie mm-hmm. and blows up. Look at movies like Swingers. Look at, you know, look at, you know, Pulp Fiction. Look at these movies. All of a sudden, they become like a cult movie. I mean, why did Barfly? It was like a, no one even cared. It was a cult movie. Now, I mean, now it's become a cult movie, but then no one really cared that much, you know? So I'm thinking, so maybe I get another shot. I don't give up. I'm not giving up. I just, I always figure as long as there's some air in my lungs and, you know, I'll, I'll be okay. Something can happen. <laughs> Good on you. You know? Yeah, but so, you... I mean, what else am I going to do? It's not like, I, you know, I have a degree from Cambridge or something. You know, I can go out and get like a consulting job. This is what I do. Yeah. And I, and I really love it. I mean, this is, but this is what I really do with my life. I play music get aggravated you know, and uh, you know, all the other <laughs> stuff. So it's a big it's a big machine i have a great management team now with randy who you spoke with and she's doing a she's doing a wonderful job and uh you know you, you just keep plugging there's mm-hmm. you know you just you do what you grew up doing you know that's all you can do you just grow up and and that's what i've been doing my whole life and uh and i'm not gonna really turn back now but, you know, I could be playing. I would like to be doing more concerts. You know, I, I, and that's why I have no patience when I see these, like, these Justin Beavers and these idiots out there like that. I have no patience with them. I think they're unprofessional. I think they're childish. Like, I wish when he was in England we tried to take, when he, you saw the newsreel when he was, kept getting out of the van like he was a tough guy in England. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. yeah. I wish they would have let him go. Let the English guy give him a head knot. <laughs> Really, give him the head. It, I mean, I would say, sorry, Justin, go ahead, take care of the guy, because the guy, English guy was all buggered up. He would probably give him a beating right there on TV. So, you know, but they, but they, they don't conduct themselves as professionals or gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I really don't like that. I don't like that behavior at all, you know, because I've gone through a lot in my life. I've given up everything for music in my life. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these kids are out, you know, at 18, driving Ferraris, causing a lot of problems. And you're saying, God, either his parents are idiots or something. I, you know, I don't know what's going on, but something's wrong. And uh, so I don't have any main patience for, for that kind of stuff. I don't like, you know, little Wayne out there dancing on the American flag. I don't, I, I don't, I don't really care for that behavior at all. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. call me old-fashioned, whatever. I just don't like it. Do you think with Justin Bieber and all those, a lot of it's to do with, you know, with the internet and YouTube and everything, they get this instant sort of famous, instead of, you know, the likes of yourself where you've had to work, you've gone through like all these different clubs and you've got to work for it, where they, they've not a clue about working for it at all. They've never worked for anything. They've not, and they stand for nothing. They don't, you know what, I was, I was at a party yesterday with Priscilla Presley, Elvis's uh, former wife, and we were talking about it. I said, well, you know, I mean, Elvis was... You'll never see that again. He is an icon, period. Mm-hmm. End of story. Elvis Presley. Probably the most impersonated person on the planet, right? 
Mm-hmm. And she says, yeah. And I, she says, but those guys aren't acts. They're trends. Mm-hmm. And when they're yeah. gone, they're gone. They have no shelf life. They're just, they're just a trend. You know what I'm saying? So I go, yeah, I do know what you're saying. And, uh, and she was right. They are trends. They're not, they're not professional. You know, they, and they'll be forgotten. You will never see in your lifetime or my lifetime, you will never see the English explosion like what happened with the Beatles. You'll never see that again. Where the chances of getting four lads together like that with that much talent is, is impossible. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, just the songs. Where do you get a group, think about it, that wrote a song that is the most played song in the history of music yesterday? Mm-hmm. What are the chances? When they came out, they were like, oh, here are these furry mop tops. You know what I mean? <laughs> And then when you think about the songs, like something, one of the most covered songs in the world, George Harrison's album, All Things Must Pass, considered one of the greatest albums ever made. Sgt. Pepper's, I mean, Red Rubber Soul, just their whole thing, you know what I'm saying? And you'll never see that again, ever. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I look at that, and that is, and I have lived, I have been privy to live through all of the three most iconic people, Frank Sinatra, Elvis Presley, and the Beatles, mm-hmm. was around when the Elvis first came out and saw that happen. Was a teenager when I saw the British explosion, the Beatles come out. So I was privy to it. You'll never see that again. Michael Jackson's not even close. He's not even close to Elvis and the Beatles. Yeah, he was big and all, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same. You know, I mean, you'll never see anything like the Beatles again, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, and that was what a great time for a young kid that has a dream about music to grow up in. What a great thing to imitate. You know what I'm saying? These oh, yeah. guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, yeah. Who you who you who are you going to uh, plagiarize? Well, the Beatles. How's that? We'll start with that. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, it was awesome, and it was just it was. You know why it was so much fun for me being a kid. Yeah, just a regular goofy kid. You know, wasn't I was okay in sports, not really, but not, I wasn't like gifted, you know. But the thing is, but had a gift of music to be surrounded by that. You know what I mean? I'm gonna walk in the next room because I'm turning on my my espresso machine. Like I need it, right? Anyway, so, <laughs> so I mean, what a great time to grow up. I mean, we used to go out and buy the. You know, we'd look at. We would always look at like, wow, what's What's John wearing? What's, oh, what's Dave Clark from Dave Clark? What are these guys wearing? What's, oh, man, Ray Davies and the Kinks. Look at his shirt. And we were, your kids, we were teenagers. And we'd go out and say, Mom, listen, man, you got to go out and buy me a peacoat like John Lennon has. You know, <laughs> you got to get me, I'm going to die if I don't get a pair of Beetle boots. You know, <laughs> stuff like that. And it was just like, but we were so into it. You have no idea. It was just like, I mean, Maybe you guys took it for granted over there, but that would have been a great time to be in England during the, you know, the English invasion. That was incredible. So, it, so for us, it was like, oh, I mean, we'd be hanging out at the record store the first second, like, the new Beatles album came out, you know? My drummer bought a drum set, looked just like Ringo's. You know, I bought a violin bass, like Paul's, but it was a piece of crap. It wasn't really a Hofner, you know, it was like some <laughs> jazz things, you know what I mean? But it's only we could afford. So <laughs> that's what we did. Just say, hey, Mom, listen, when I get a car, I want to get like an MG. Like everything was English, you know? We're Italian, but everything was British, you know what I mean? 
my mother goes, you kids are driving me crazy. You know, <laughs> you know, cut your hair. No, man, I can't. Cut my hair. You know, so I was always dodging my stepfather because he wanted my hair real short. So I was always sneaking in and out the house. I go, how come Frankie's not around anymore? Because he doesn't want you to cut his hair. That's why. So <laughs> that, that was kind of, and I had kind of wavy hair, which kind of sucked at that point. <laughs> the Beatles, that really cool, straight, shiny hair. My hair was kind of like, like fucking aborigine or something. You know what I mean? So. But that's a little cooler, like when Clapton came out with Cream and he had like that perm, he had like, or Hendrix and he had curly hair, so all of a sudden I became cool again, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, but it was the best time of my life, it really was. I mean, I just, I, I tell kids, and I said, man, you missed out on the best time ever. Not even close, you missed the best time in your life. Everyone was happy, this was like when Kennedy, well, after Kennedy, we needed it. Man, when Kennedy got assassinated, I mean, our country went right in the doldrums, bad. And oh, here come the Brits, here come those fuzzy mop tops. And they changed, the whole British invasion was just what this country needed. Because we were in the doldrums. You know, I mean, Kennedy was a very popular president. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. when he got assassinated, it was just horrible. I remember, I remember it to the second where I was. I was in military school at that time. And I was in the, I was in being kept after class or just sitting after class talking to Captain Steele. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And a kid popped his head. Another cadet popped his head in the room and said, hey, uh, the president's been shot. I go, really? What country? Of what country? He goes, Kennedy. I go, holy crap. Now, he wasn't dead yet. You know, so no one knew if he was dead yet. So we all, you know, ran up to the portico. And, we, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, Walter Cronkite announced that the president had died. And it was like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me. Because everyone loved John F. Kennedy because he was funny, he was good-looking, had a hot-looking wife. You know what I mean? It was great. <laughs> and when he got killed, it was so depressing. So when the English invasion came in, it was just what this country needed because it was all fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, you know, all the commercials. You know, we'd never – I mean, we'd never seen anybody speak with a British accent other than, like, you know, Rex Harrison. You know what I mean? We didn't, <laughs> you know, we didn't know. And so all my sisters – Oh, wow, look how cute they are. Hello, love. You know, we, didn't, we never got bombarded with, like, a British accent. So everyone was trying to – we were idiots. You know, we'd sit there and try to, like, talk to girls, like, with a British accent. We were, we were such jerks. You know what I mean? We were like idiots. You know? Hello, love. And, but it was really bad. I mean, you know what I mean? It was, like, really a bad accent. It's like – but they didn't give a shit. The girls didn't care. You know, because we kind of looked like we were in a rock band. Even if we had a lousy British accent, no one cared. It was good. <laughs> it was all good. And, but, you know, and, and, you know, you have to understand being from an Italian family and being like kind of working class neighborhood was mostly, our neighbors are mostly Irish, a lot of Irish, German, you know, Italian, a few Polish. They're, you know, and their parents are like, I guess they'd be compared to like your parents if they were like RAF people, you know, like kind of stiff. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing was like kind of was weird for them. You know, all of a sudden guys with long hair wearing turtlenecks and, you know, wearing corduroy pants and high heeled shoes with zippers and all. They, they thought we were like Martians. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, we would walk in and our hair wasn't even long. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look at the Beatles' first album, it's not even long. It, it kind of go, just touches their ears a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, would, you would think they saw a ghost. <laughs> you know, Christ, can you imagine if they saw someone like Marilyn Manson now? Christ, oh, Mike, oh, back then? Yeah. Oh, killed uh... <laughs> but he was a Ichabod Crane or something. <laughs> Just past. You know? 
Who who is there nowadays that you listen to? Who do you like? What kind of music? Yeah, yeah. I I got to be honest, and I know I sound like an old stuffy. I listen to like oldies. Mm. I mean, I listen to. I love classical music. I love Tchaikovsky. I like Rachmaninoff. You know, I love that the classic. And I, I got to listen. You know what? I haven't. I haven't really. There's a few good groups out there. You know, I love the Kings of Leon. I think they're pretty good. I think, but there's nothing that really floats my boat. You know, I mean, there's nothing. I mean, I like Billy Joel, but you know, nowadays these guys don't even make albums anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I listen to satellite radio, and I'm, I'm I'm listening to the Beatles. I'm listening to the '60s, the '70s, because as far as I'm concerned, I consider myself really knowledgeable in music. To me, that's the best music ever. I don't. You, you can't. You can't tell me Madonna, which I always thought was crap. I never liked her. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Lady Gaga, who's okay, but you can't compare that to like Joni Mitchell or Tina Turner or, or you know, Carol King. They're not even close. Or Janis Joplin, you know, they they want to be, they're wannabes. They're they're not even close. You don't have any blues guys anymore. They're all dead, except for BB King and Buddy Guy. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a guy kid, man, you had Muddy Waters, you had you know Howlin' Wolf, you had all those guys. You know, but Albert Collins, Albert King. The real dudes, and then Big Bill Brunzi. That, by the way, I hate to say, they had to go to England to be discovered, like the the British discovered our own acts. <laughs> go figure. <laughs> in other words, they had to go like they were gods in England. Here, they were just like you know, like laborers. You know, they didn't even no one even knew who they were. So it's our music, the blues. They had to go halfway around the world to be appreciated, and then we went like, oh, okay, I guess so, and then they came back. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for, like, the British, our blues thing was, like, really basically kind of ignored. I mean, people like Muddy Waters and Buddy Guy and Howlin' Wolf, the Stones, I mean, they idolized these guys. So they became really famous over there, you know? I mean, and so that was kind of interesting. So I love listening to some of the blues you know, I love, I like, you know, I listen, love the British bands, all of them. You know, the Kinks were like my favorite group. Dave Clark Five, The Who, The Beatles, The Stones. I mean, I love all that stuff. You know, Cat Stevens. I mean, I, I, James Taylor. I listen, I listen to everything. You know, mm-hmm. but I just haven't heard anything for me that really makes me, you know, want to. I think Elton John's stuff now is a little too fluffy for me. I mean, I don't know. He's like out of. I think he's out of his mind. But, I mean, I thought El Khan at one time was the greatest, you know, until he started with the costumes and all the crazy stuff, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, wearing a Donald Duck outfit on stage, come on. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm pretty – I have my taste that I like and things like that. But, uh, I mean, but I I don't want to disparage – you know what? There's some alternative stuff out there that's pretty good. I, I must admit, there's some, there's, you know, you know, there's some groups out there that that are that are that are pretty not bad, not bad. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know the, the the Wallflowers were pretty good. You know, uh, you know stuff like that. But they're not even making records anymore. But I, I'm not into the trendy what's going on like Shakira. I don't like that stuff. I never liked that crap. You know. I was never into like the, you know, the like if you danced when I was coming up, they would kill you. If you were like boys, if you were like one of these groups, like these boy bands, they would laugh you off the stage. Can you imagine going to Woodstock and coming out and doing like choreographed dance moves? Forget oh, it. Yeah. Like, uh, 
Yeah, like where the Stones played at Altamont with all the Hell's Angels, they would beat you to death on stage. <laughs> Imagine coming out with white pants, or like you came out like with George Michael and Wham. Forget about it. <laughs> Shoot you. Imagine coming out with white short shorts and dancing, wake me up before you go-go. I don't think so. <laughs> I bet we're going to kill you before you go-go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah, I mean, look, look at his career. Look, go, go figure. George Michael, look how big he was. And now he's like, or Boy George. I did a show with Boy George. Look how big they were. And now they're like buffoons. Yeah, Nothing. I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't hear of, what is it, Andrew Ridgely, you don't hear of him at all. I think he was smart. I think he got out when the getting was good and probably made a lot of money. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, Boy George and, uh, you know, the other guy, uh, George Michael, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're almost caricatures. They look horrible. And they're just, they're nothing. You know, drugs, whatever they did. But the thing is, they got nothing. It's amazing, isn't it, when you think about it? And then you look at Paul McCartney. I mean, look how long he's been around at that level. Oh, you know, yeah. you look at you know, Peter Townsend, Roger Daltrey. I mean, they're still doing it. They're seven, look at the Stones. They're in their 70s, still doing yeah. it. Great. Yeah. I saw the Stones, and I, I wrote on my blog, I said, they are everything a rock band is supposed to be. Everything. Perfect. Professional. You know, they don't really go on stage and curse that much. You know, they mess around, but they're, they're not really foul on stage. You know, they just rock and roll. They're just, you know, they just let, and, and I'm saying... And they're great. Mick Jagger is on stage, man. He's in shape. He's like really in good shape. And 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 look, you think about it. this group has been together over fifty years, over half a century. Mm -hmm. Time is on my heart of stone. Time is on my side. Came out late late sixty three. Okay, we're going into two thousand fourteen. So that's a pretty amazing when oh, yeah. you think about. It. You know, Paul McCartney's still out there playing. Ringo's still out there playing. You know, and I got to meet all the Beatles except John. Oh. Yeah, I know, man. I mean, you know, I mean, look, Ringo's okay. I met Joel. George was actually very nice. Paul was okay. Paul's like Paul. Paul's like kind of always posing a little bit, didn't he? But again, you know, you got to put yourself in his shoes. He's been a Beatle for 50 years, so he's probably getting, you know. I met him with my brother. We're backstage. Of course, my brother comes up to him. When my brother was younger. He looked a little like Paul McCartney with the droopy eyes. So Paul's there, and he's really a runt. He's very small, skinny. He's not a 5'11". Never saw 5'11 in his life. Because they all said that. They're all 5'11". Not even close. Not even close. Maybe 5'9", something like that. So my brother walks up to Paul and pulls a, you know, always going with the thumbs up. You know, that kind of thing he always does. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I go, uh, people said I stole your face for a while. And Paul's like, right, okay, right, yeah. He's like really kind of a distracted guy. You know, I, I couldn't see like, you know, maybe because he was just getting ready to go on stage or something. But I got a picture, you know, I got a picture of my brother and Paul and I, which I cherish, I have in my office, with the set list and my ticket. So oh. that's really a cherished thing. Yeah. You know, the Sloan boys make good hanging with the, you know, Polly. So that was really nice. I've had some great moments, man, in my life. I've met some famous old movie stars like Jimmy Stewart and Gene Kelly and Kerry Grant. You know, so, I mean, I just, I, maybe it was around at the right time, you know. Mm, yeah. I know they were getting old and dying, but at least I met them, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I got to meet three of the four Beatles. I've met Mick Jagger, you know. I've met, uh, yeah, so I've been okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
one thing we haven't touched on yet as well you've acted in a load of films too uh, you mentioned but you've mentioned barfly earlier and um the famous american critic film critic roger Abair, he he was raving about your performance in that well you know what and that was very nice of him but uh, you know when it first came out the movie um really didn't do that well it was kind of a cult movie and it really didn't do that well you know it was kind of it was, it was kind of a gritty movie kind of gr- grungy you know what i'm saying but as time went on, it became more of a cult movie overseas and stuff like that. I mean, it's really interesting that I... You'd think I'd be working more in films, because I get people coming up to me all the time in the business. Hey, man, I loved you in Barfly. I said, well, hire me. I'm ready to work, babe. You know? So, I mean, things like that. It's uh, kind of interesting. you know. Uh, and, uh, and the two movies of all the movies, that are only two movies I've been in that I've had a mustache was Barfly and Tombstone. Mm-hmm. And both movies, I have the same name. Eddie and Barfly and Ed and Tombstone. Ah, uh-huh, so, of course. A bit trivia there, huh? Oh, yeah. Two, two of my favorite scenes, you know, well, obviously, Mickey Rourke and Barfly and my scenes in Tombstone are with Val Kilmer, which who I thought was magnificent as Doc Holliday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I've... Um, I like doing movies. I, you know, I, I got to tell you something. I feel a little bad because in 1985, the business started changing. You know, music started getting in the urban, a little bit of the hip-hop, rap, which I, I don't like. I just don't care about You know, I mean, I'm not putting them down. God bless them. But it's just not my bag, you know? So from coming where I'm coming from as a musician, as a guitar player, as a songwriter, and all, I was kind of left out, lost out of water. I mean, I didn't have a record deal, lost my record deal. Uh, so all of a sudden I started little by little getting these movie parts, I guess because of staying, I mean, Saturday, staying alive, you know, had some heat still. And then all of a sudden I kind of, I got to tell you something. I kind of, I somewhat abandoned, abandoned my music a little bit. It's really, and I'm really ashamed of it. Because, you know, I, I was making really good money doing movies. You know, when I was doing movies, I was traveling, I was going around. But you know what? I should have kept a band together at that point and kept, and, and kept the momentum going. So I was doing gigs here and there once in a while, like in the 90s I was working, you know, with the big band. And I wasn't really doing my own music. And who was it? It was a Frankie Avalon who said, why aren't you doing your own music? I don't understand that. You got all these songs from these movies. And, but yet you're doing all this big band stuff. Why don't I mean, you do your own stuff? And I said, you know what? Hell with it. So about eight, seven years ago, I said, you know what? I'm dedicating myself back to music. Screw everything else. So I put a band together, and we've had some changes, but, you know, drummer's still the same. And my keyboard player is actually British. He's from Birmingham. And uh, it's been great. And in my show, I do everything. I do acoustic. I do blues. I do well, a lot of my stuff. <clears throat> I'll do some of the standards. You know, I do some of the standards just to do it. So it's almost like a Bobby Darren show. Like, you know, Bobby Darren would do his rock stuff he wrote, and he'd do some the big band stuff, and he'd do some acoustic folk stuff, do some blues. And that's what I do. And I'm having a blast doing it. Hmm. Have you, you know, got any plans, any plans to come over here to the UK? I'm sure they I would love to. I, you know, I would love to come. I mean, I, I, love, I love being in England. I, you know, I have a really warm spot in my heart for the British people. And I... And congratulations on your future king. I don't know where we'll be alive, but I think. <laughs> Did he name him yet? 
Yeah, George. Good. That's, that's what I thought they'd probably name him. King George. Yeah. Prince, oh, he's Prince George now, right? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, I think, think he is, yeah. 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 So, put it this way. In that family, though, the queen mother lived to 100, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, she did. Yeah, so Queen Elizabeth might have another 17 years. Charles would be like, <laughs> well, he's the longest sitting prince ever. He is, yeah, a long, long time. And he's 64 years, five years old. So <laughs> he wouldn't get in. I mean, if he lives that long, he'd be like, if his mother lives to like 100 and doesn't step down, he'd be like 80 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so depending on what goes on, you know, maybe Prince William could be King William. Good. Yeah, that, yeah, he could yeah, be next. Yeah. I mean, did the Queen Mother step down? I guess she did, didn't she? After her husband died, the Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, and then yeah, it was Queen Elizabeth then, and then but it's, it's been. Uh, I'm, I'm really happy, you know. I'm really happy. I'm, I've always been a fan of you know the royal family, so I think it's really nice. I think they're, I think they're, I think they're going to be great. I think William and Kate are going to be great. I think they're pretty free thinking. They're not that stodgy. I think they're going to be great, don't you? Yeah, I, th- I think they do. They've changed sort of the perception of the royal family around a bit because they didn't have yeah. too good too good an image a, a while back. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, but getting back to the movies, I, I mean, I've had some good times. I mean, you know, but it's, you know, I have all new management now. I got rid of everybody because I really realized that no one was doing anything. Mm-hmm. And when my manager, Randy, came in, I, I just realized, you know, she said, first of all, you got to change your website. You got to change this. You got to change this. You got to change your perception of you. Because people have a concept of you, but they don't know anything about you. So we got to turn that around. And that's what we've been doing. And it's, it's taken a little time. And, uh, you know, how did you find out about me? How did I find out about you? Oh, I, well, the first time that you came oh, into my perception was it was 1978. And I went, uh, there was a film club at school and they showed Rocky and I will we me and my friend went to watch it and we were both walking back and we couldn't get the song uh, take you back out of our heads that were just constantly wow. I, mean, I was I like thought... I, I need to know who sings this and then like that was it from then on no but I'm just saying recently I mean I mean as far as doing this radio show oh recent recently well you you've never been out of my perception I bought mm-hmm. um I think it was like about six months ago. I picked up the 1988 movie Fear, and that's right. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying this because like you're talking to us. I would say this to to anybody. I think you were incredible in that. I think it was a, a I great love that movie. Armitage. Yeah. Armitage. Oh, you were such a mean son of a bitch. In that one. Yeah. No. I'll tell you what happened. I went up to that movie. And he said, "Listen, there's a character in this movie who has not one redeeming quality." I go, "I want it." I want that part. Because how can you fail? He's a scuzzbag. I mean, everything oh, yeah. about him is horrible. And he was a killer. He was a molester. He was an arsonist. He was everything. He was a racist. He was everything. But it was so much fun to play him because you could just go off. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And I was, I mean, spoilers, obviously, but it's, you know, 20 odd years ago. I was, I was absolutely gutted when you died in that. I was, I was hoping you'd be all the way through the movie. You know what? That's what they, you know, after they did the movie, they said, you know, we made a big mistake by killing you too soon. I said, oh, well, def- thanks. they definitely did. They definitely did. Yeah, it should have killed, uh, you know, the other guy first in the van. But, yeah, I'm, you know, I like that movie. You know, I, I did like, that was kind of following right after Barfly, because, you know, mm-hmm. Eddie played kind of a bad guy. So that was, that kind of came after that. So I was doing a lot of movies 
in the eighties and you know, I had a, you know, I had a manager then and then I, I had an agent and stuff. And then, you know, it's like everyone quit. My manager, my agent didn't want to be an agent anymore. My manager, everything fell apart. So I kind of was drifting around for a while, going from one agency to the next, to this, to that. And then, you know, Randy came along, you know, she had great success with Jimmy Fallon. She said, you know what, I think I can do something here. Mm-hmm. And she's just like a tireless worker. She's great. You know, so, uh, we're, we're moving ahead. We're moving ahead. Hopefully to get some more, uh, you know, some more things going, some more pictures and, and things like that. So we're really happy about that. You know. Yeah, I was looking uh, at the pre-production of Harding on IMDb. That sounds really interesting that you're tied in. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah, the movie yeah. About the, the Wild West guy. Yeah, I loved it. Well, I, you know, I know in England they've always loved westerns. I mean, John Wayne was like an icon there. But you know, I love doing westerns myself. I think it's great. Doing westerns is awesome. It's really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's. Uh, I like doing that kind of stuff. And and you know what? I, I got to tell you, I would love to do it all. You know, I'd love to tour, play music, write songs, do movies, be in movies. I mean, I like doing it. I mean, that's what I do. I really don't, I, you know, I have hobbies. You know, I, I read a lot. I have a library and I, you know, collect boxing memorabilia, which I've been doing for forever. So I have that type of stuff. You know, I like archery and stuff. So I have hobbies and things, you know. Mm. But I mean, the essence of who I am is, is music. You know, people have asked me. What would you like doing movies or movies of music? I said, obviously music. I mean, that's, mm. music is what got me everything I have, you know, so definitely the music. Uh, but I, I do enjoy making movies. I mean, it's nice to be able to play. Like, I have a podcast. Like, Wednesday, I interviewed a hitman. He used to be a mob enforcer hitman, Frank Delata. I had him on my radio show. And it was just, I've always had a morbid fascination with organized crime. Always. Mm-hmm. Because it's something I couldn't do, you know. What I mean, I, I just I wouldn't know how to go out and like whack some dude out, you know what I mean? <laughs> but he's talking about it's like it's like a day in the office. Yeah, a guy come in, I corked him. I got okay, yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm doing that, but in a movie I can do that, you know. Like in in Fear or Hudson Hawk, I can play that bad guy, you know, mm-hmm. and and go home and wash the grit off and go to a nice restaurant, and not go to prison, you know. <laughs> you know, but so. It's uh, something that's quite a, quite a bit of fun, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, I love doing all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, because I was just going to tell you how's, how's the show going on there? Because it's on Playboy Radio, and I'll give I'll put the link up to it on our podcast notes as well because you can download the show. I think it was episode oh, well, three. Thank you. you know, I'd like the people out there. You know, I, I do on my Twitter and. I get people from United Kingdom and, uh, you know, tweet. And, and my tweet is very simple. My Twitter is at Stallone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you know, I have my Facebook, Frank Stallone. Uh, my website is frankstallone.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on my official fan pages, Frank Stallone Official. And so if you want to go there and like it. Yeah, and I do, you know, I, I stay in contact with my, with, with, with my fans for sure. I do. I always have, you know. Oh, that's good, I, yeah. Yeah. I enjoy it. I mean, you know what? I got to tell you something. Yesterday I was getting gas, and a guy kept looking at me. I go, what the hell is this guy looking at me? He goes, listen, b- before you go, man, he goes, can I have your autograph? He go, I go, really? He goes, yeah, I'd recognize you anywhere. I said, what a, what a nice thing. What a nice thing. But it's positive. not like, hey, I recognize you. You're, you're that dumb asshole on TV. No. It's like, <laughs> I recognize you. You're like, yeah, you know, it was really nice. You know, it kind of makes your day. You know, when you're feeling a little down on yourself or whatever, it kind of makes your day a little yeah. bit, you know? Yeah, 
that Which people be, somewhere out there appreciate what you do. I mean, you know, so many people are so unappreciated and, you know, and things like that. Now, does your show run all through Wales and England and what? Yeah, across the world. We even had, uh, there's a guy called Ben Wyatt in Australia. And as soon as he found out that we were going to chat with you, he, he wanted to make sure that uh, we passed on all the best wishes from Australia. He said Australia, oh, still, I Australia still loves Frank. Oh, I love Australia. Let me tell you something. I had the best time when I did the uh, Hamish and Andy show. I had, it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. All of a sudden, I get a call from an agent I had at the time. He goes, do you, do you know him? I said, do you know what's going on? I said, I have no idea. All of a sudden, my record, Far From Over, which came out in 83, is now jumped like 800 or 600 on the iTunes chart. Wow. What happens, these two radio guys, Hamish and Andy, who are like obviously a country of 20 million people, and they have like three, list, three million listeners. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like 10%. That'd be like in the United States that you'd have like 50 million listeners at one time, you know? <laughs> so, and he said, they're going crazy. They're doing this thing, the Frank effect. Frank's coming. I said, what the hell are you talking about? He said, for some reason, these two DJ, DJs wanted to be concert promoters. And for some reason, they latched on to your song, Far From Over. And they've been playing it like every hour on the hour every day and it's become this thing that's just this magical thing who is this guy who is this guy because you know a lot of people listening are probably weren't even alive you know who is the song and it just became so big and they said would frank come to australia and do a concert i said yeah of course so i mean how about this richard branson gave us our tickets to fly on virgin australia I mean, everything topped her. I get there, I'm greeted. Like, it's like the Beatles. I said, oh my God, I didn't get this treatment when it was a hit record here. And then they t- had a parade for me. And we did a concert there. It sold out in four and a half minutes at the Forum. Whoa. It was something, it was unbelievable. They made t-shirts, they did this. It was absolutely unbelievable. I was never treated so well. They were so nice to us. The whole the whole country was lovely to us, and I and I really would like to go back. I mean, I would like to come back. I'd like to come back to the United Kingdom too, as well. I like to come, you know, I like to go to Wales, Scotland, Ireland, England, then you know, Australia. I had a great time there. You know, I really loved it, and the people were really nice. So, to all the people in Australia that are listening, we love you. We really do. You guys were just awesome. It was one of the greatest trips I ever had, and uh, yeah, I mean, I love I love people that write me. I, I mean, I look at all my Twitters. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm for real. My Twitter is for real. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see it blue check there. So I'm verified. I'm, it's me. So I, I love looking at mail. I love looking, at, you know, I mean, I've had some people offer me say, listen, listen, would you like to play here? And it's really interesting with the social network. You never know who's listening. You know what I mean? You never know. Oh, yeah. yeah. You never know who's listening and saying, wow, man, that sounds pretty interesting. Well, we have, you know, Frank come over here. I said, well, you know, Frank's ready to go. I'm like, uh, you know, <clears throat> Paladin in the movie, have gun, will travel. Well, this is half <laughs> our world travel, you know. I'm ready to go. I mean, I just enjoy it, you know. And I'm enjoying that, you know, you've been a fan that you, that you asked me to come on your show. It's great. 
Yeah, and it's it's through Twitter that we first got in contact. You know, I fired off a tweet, and it was like you replied, and before we know it, we were swapping messages. And just you know, there's not a lot of people that would do that. You know, with like you said, you connect with the fans, and that, you know, we're proof of it that you you do connect with your fans and appreciate well, the I, fans, and it's so good. You no, know, I, I I think it's you know, I mean, I believe when people take the time out to contact you or compliment you or say hey. You know, what's wrong with that? I, You know, I am from the old school, you know. Um, I have done gigs where hardly anyone showed up, and people go, oh, you don't have to do a show. I said, no, I'm going on to do my show. You know what? Because if there's 10, 15 people, they paid money to see Frank Stallone, they're going to see him. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because I, someone told me a story when I lived in Trenton, New Jersey. There was a blizzard snowstorm, horrible, horrible snowstorm. And Louis Armstrong was playing at the Trenton War Memorial. And, like, it's a beautiful place. And, like, ten people showed up because it was a blizzard out. And they said, well, listen, we'll give them their money back. He says, no, 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 no. Mm-mm. These people came out in this weather to see Louis Armstrong. They're going to see Louis Armstrong. And he, and he did his concert. And that's how I feel. You know what? I don't want anybody to go away disappointed. If you came to see me, you're going to see the show. Whether it's, there's 10,000 people or ten people. And that's how I've always been. You know, and I think people appreciate that. I think it comes with being a professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's and that's how that's how it should be. I think. Uh, just before just before we sadly say goodbye, because we could talk to you all night. Uh, you've got oh. a few gigs. You've got a few gigs coming up, and the next one is on your birthday in a few days. Yeah, that's right. On uh, July thirtieth is mm-hmm. my birthday, and I'm doing. I figured, you know, what a better thing to do than play music on my birthday. I don't, you know, I don't want to sit there. And go to like my own party, so I just you know bring the party. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I'm really looking forward to that. And there's a there's a few gigs coming up. I mean, I got to tell you honestly, we're looking for a music agent right now. That's what we're doing as we speak, mm-hmm. because uh, it, it's it's a lot of work for me to do. It's a lot of work for Randy to do. It's it's you know it's more effective if you get someone that really does it, knows how to do it, and, ma- and make it work. So that's kind of what we're doing, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so, you know, but we love to play. We travel. We do whatever we need to do. So it's, it's yeah. just a pleasure. You know, it's a gift from God, and it's a pleasure, and I don't take it for granted for one minute. You know? Oh, well, listen, if um, whatever projects you've got coming up, please keep in touch. You know, we'll, we'll do everything that we can to promote it. And... Oh, I would love that. And, oh, and yeah. I want to I thank you guys for having me on the show. I want to say a big shout-out to all the people in the United Kingdom and uh, Australia and all the people that listen to your show. And uh, we hope to do it again. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, you're always welcome on the show. And, well, fingers crossed you get to the UK. We'll be, we'll be there in a heartbeat. Oh, absolutely. That'd be awesome. Well, listen, you guys, what time is it there? It's uh, 7.38 in the evening. And what time does it go on the air? Uh, it'll be on air ooh, in about two and a half hours or so. Oh, great. Well... As it's on air, all my fans and friends, don't be afraid to Twitter me at Stallone or my, or my, uh, my website, frankstallone.com. And just we'll all keep in touch and have a good time, and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you for your time, Frank. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Thanks. mate. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.